would go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. On November the 10th, 1982, a month before his 76th birthday, the leader of Russia, General Secretary Brezhnev, who was the third General Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, a month before his 76th birthday, he passed away. And as with any world leader in that day, and even today, when a world leader like that passes away, they hold a state funeral and dignitaries and leaders come from all over the world to pay respects and to offer condolences and representing the United States on that day was George H.W. Bush, then the Vice President, eventually would, uh, would go on to become the 41st President of the United States. But during the funeral, President Bush was deeply moved by a very silent gesture made by Brezhnev's widow. It was a gesture that if we saw somebody do that today in the United States, we wouldn't think twice about it. But, but in, in the Soviet Union, in that day, for this person to do this gesture was a big, big deal. You see, for General Secretary Brezhnev and his wife, at that time in the Soviet Union, for them, the church did not exist. The general secretary was, was, uh, was known to have imprisoned priests and believers and pastors and known to close seminaries and churches whenever they got in his way because in those days, in that country, as, in, as with many in most communist nations, faith and church was seen as a sign of weakness and it needed to be controlled and it needed to be limited by the government so that the government could have complete autonomous control and for General Secretary Brezhnev and his wife that they were uh, they were people who for them faith just was nowhere to be found in 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 the the the, the power couple of the superpower of the most powerful in that day communist nation in the world faith just did not exist there was no sign of it until the funeral and as the people that were there reported they said that during the state funeral and you've seen these things before where all the people come by the casket and the military is all around and there the widow was standing at the caskets motionless in looking at the coffin and in just seconds before the coffin was closed one of the soldiers reached up and he was going to close the coffin lid and Brezhnev's wife did something unthinkable in the Soviet culture of that day she with great courage she reached down before the lid was closed and she made the sign of a cross on her husband's chest. You don't understand how big of a deal that was. The wife of the fallen leader, who was the leader of the superpower of secular atheist power in the world, there she made a gesture that, that, that said to the world that she had hoped that her husband was wrong. She had hoped that there was something more than the life that they 
were living and that he had lived. And on some level, Mrs. Brezhnev, she believed and she hoped, she, she gave a sign that she had hoped that there was something beyond that. And not only did she give a sign that she had a hope that was beyond this life, but she gave a sign in the symbol of the cross that she believed that whatever was past this life, if there was something on the other side of this earth and, and on the other side of eternity, it would come through the ministry and power of Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't know Mrs. Brezhnev, nor am I familiar with any of her actual beliefs, but what I know is that for a split second, it seemed that she was not completely convinced that there was that, that this is all there is to our life. For a split second, she gave a very small sign of a small glimpse of hope. You know, as believers in Christ, we have hope. Peter calls it a living hope. And Peter writes to believers uh, in, in, in a time in the, the world where they are under great persecution, he reminds them this world is not your home. But he also wants to prepare them for what is ahead because they were facing persecution, which is why they scattered out into the countryside, but that wasn't all the persecution they would face. They were going to face more persecution in the days ahead. And so Peter wants to prepare them for that. I mean, what do you say to somebody who, in a matter of a few days or a few weeks, may themselves be crucified and hoisted up on a cross because they identify as, Christian, as a Christian? What do you say to somebody who maybe even will be crucified and, and maybe they're covered in some type of petroleum oil and set on fire just to light uh, the way to the path of Nero's garden. What do you say to somebody who's going to go through that? What do you say to somebody who, in a matter of, of weeks or months in the near future, is going to be or are going to be arrested and then they're going to be uh, taken to a prison and, uh, and, and they're going to be sentenced to death, but they won't just be sentenced to death, they'll be sentenced to a torturous death. They're going to be wrapped up in animal hide. Kind of like, kind of like a, almost like being inside of a sleeping bag. They're going to be sewn with animal, raw animal hide all around them. They're going to be tied and it's going to be sewn in. They will not be able to get out. And then they're going to be thrown into the den of lions as entertainment for the king and the nobility of the nation. What do you say to somebody that's going to go through that? And this is what... Peter is getting at when he's, when he's talking to these folks in 1 Peter chapter 1, the believers he's writing to, these are the things that they will be going through. You know, as a pastor, it makes you wonder, you know, what do you say to a person who loses their job because they posted a Bible verse on Facebook? As a pastor, what do you say to somebody who's lived right their whole life, not perfect, but trying to serve God, lives a healthy life, and eats healthy, exercises only to be told that they have a terminal disease and they have a manner of weeks to live. I mean, what, what, what do you say to that? And the truth is, folks, I, I can't 
tell you that life is going to be miserable, but I also cannot guarantee you that you're not ever going to suffer. I can't tell you that you're never going to face opposition. I can't tell you that everything is going to be smooth sailing. In fact, that would be intellectually dishonest and theologically inconsistent. But what I can tell you is what Peter is telling to his readers, and it's this, the difficulties of this world are temporary, but Christ's hope is forever. The difficulties of this world are temporary, but Christ's hope is forever. Because we have a living hope and a living Christ. We as believers in Christ can live in hope on this earth. And that's what Peter is getting to as he, as he writes to the readers in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's He's uh, starting in verse 3. He's going to give them reasons that they can live in hope in spite of the difficulties that are ahead. So we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Read to verse 6. It says this. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. Father, we pray this morning that as we study your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would interpret that which we need to hear, Father, the things that you want us to hear in this time. Father, help us to discern it. and Help us to have a, uh, a desire and a burden to follow it. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we can live in the hope of Christ. Because when you receive the hope of Christ, number one, that hope started a new life. That hope started a new life. Look at verse 3. It says, according to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is talking to believers in Christ who have been born again. You know, in our culture today, when somebody talks about someone being born again, a lot of times it's kind of a pejorative. It's, a, it's an insult. They say it like this. Oh, so-and-so is a born-again Christian. They don't always put the quotation marks, but that's kind of what's being inferred in how they say it. Oh, you're a born-again believer. Friends, let me tell you, there's no such thing as a Christian who has never been born again. If you are a true Christian, a true Christ follower, you have been born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3. Jesus says, I assure, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A Christian is a born-again Christian. That's who Peter's talking to. Notice that, that the new birth that Peter talks about in verse 3 
is an outflow of God's great mercy. It says that this, this inheritance and this, uh, this new birth that he talks about in verse 3 is according to the great mercy of God. Some of you may remember back in the 80s and 90s before you had fancy cell phones and, you know, all these filters and social media and snap filters and all the stuff that you can do with your phones now. We didn't have that in the 80s and 90s. And back in the day, if you wanted a really nice looking shot of yourself, uh, a lot of times you would go to a studio uh, they had them everywhere. I think they were called Glamour Shots. Some of you probably remember Glamour Shots. Some of you probably have some Glamour Shots uh, in your photo album, album somewhere. Women of all ages, young ladies, girls, and, 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 and women of all ages would go into a Glamour Shot. Maybe it was in the mall, and they'd fix them all up, and they'd take these, these beautiful pictures. And the point was was to make them look like a glamorous model, you know? And so they did their hair and the makeup, and they told them to bring a nice dress. Sometimes they had dresses that you might could put on, and, and so it was glamour shots. Well, one day a, uh, a, a lady uh, went into the glamour shot studio, and uh, she went to have her glamour shots done. And now, you have to understand, they, they did the best they could with her, okay? They did the best they could with her. They, they did the makeup. They did the hair. Uh, but she had a terrible attitude, number one. And number two, there was just always so much you could do for this lady. God bless her heart, right? And, and so at the end of the session, she was, uh, she was looking at the proofs with the photographer. And she, again, really bad attitude. And she was looking at the proofs, and she says, I don't like this one, I don't like that one, I don't like the other one. And so the photographer went back, and he, he found the very best picture. He says, this is the best picture that we have. This, this is a cute picture. She's going to love this. Man, i got a really good shot here. He puts it in front of her, and, he, and she says, sir, that picture does not do me justice. And he looked at the picture, and he looked at her, and he looked at the picture, and he looked at her, and he says, ma'am, with all due respect, you don't need justice. What you need is mercy. <laughs> you see, I don't want God's justice. We don't want God's justice. We need his mercy. Because if I got God's justice, then I would pay the full penalty for my sin. But according to his great mercy, we have a new birth. Folks, salvation is an outflow of God's mercy. Out of his mercy, we have a new birth. Mercy is his motivation. But I also want you to notice as we read this verse how he accomplishes this new birth into a living hope. It says, According to his great mercy, has given us a new birth into a living hope through, how did he accomplish it? Well, he accomplishes it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 3, 23 through 25. I call it the gospel in a nutshell. I love these verses where you can, 
you can, if you want to present the gospel to somebody and you can't remember a whole bunch of Bible verses, Romans 3, 23 through 25 are amazing. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. It shows us that the problem is sin. It shows us that the path that God has given us to overcome the problem of sin is faith in the blood of Christ and God's promise for those who are in sin who have faith in the blood of Christ. God's promise is to pass over their sins like it never happened. He overlooks it. He doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees now the righteousness of Christ. Folks, no matter what happens on this earth, good or bad, those who are in Christ can live in hope because the living hope that starts a new life is received by those who have faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you have started a new spiritual life. You have been born again. But another thing you need to know about our living hope so that you can live in hope is that it secures our inheritance. It secures our inheritance. Look at verse 4. It says, And in two, an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Friends, when you come to faith in Christ, you are spiritually reborn. You are adopted into the family of God. And when you are adopted into God's family, as one of God's family, you now become an heir of God's inheritance. You become an heir of the inheritance that God has given to Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8 when he says that the Holy Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, verse 17, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Peter wants us to know that if you are a child through faith in Jesus Christ, then you are set up with an inheritance that can never be taken away. You know, one of the doctrines that distinguishes Southern Baptists from most other Christian denominations is the doctrine of security of the believer. You've probably heard many people over the years say, once saved, always saved. And that's true. I like to say it a little differently. If saved, always saved. That is a doctrine that distinguishes what we believe as Southern Baptists, but we also as Southern Baptists, as we look at the Bible, we believe that this is one of the doctrines that distinguishes biblical Christianity from all other religions in the world. If saved, always saved. You say, well, why do you say if saved? Well, because a lot of people will go through the motions. You can go through the motions, and you can come forward at church, and you can tell the church, hey, I've prayed a prayer, and I want to be baptized. You can say those words. You can go through those motions. 
you can jump through those hoops, but if it's not true in the very heart of the believer, it's not true deep in your heart, then it doesn't matter. The question is not, did you go through the motions? The question is, have you ever truly believed? Because a person can go through the motions and never really believe, but a person who really believes will be propelled to let people know. They will be compelled to come forward and confess that publicly. They will want to obey the command of Jesus to be baptized as a believer, as a sign of their faith. You know, it's like Paul tells the Romans in chapter 10. It's got to be real in your heart. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. It's not really about what you actually say with your mouth, but it's what's happening in your heart. Why does this matter to 1 Peter chapter 1? Well, it matters because these believers are facing major difficulties. Many of these believers are probably asking questions like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, is God mad at me? Has God forgotten us? Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe God isn't so loving since he lets all these bad things happen. There are all these questions that I'm sure are human, natural questions to ask when you're faced with difficulties. And, and as they ask those questions, I'm sure some of them are weighing in their mind, is this really worth it? Is it even worth it to serve the Lord? It could cost me my life. And Peter says, no matter what you face on this earth, God will not go back on what he has promised you. Listen, friends, when it comes to God's inheritance, the government cannot take it away from you. You're not going to face, when you step into heaven, you're not going to face some hidden loopholes that deplete the majority of your inheritance. You know, when, when, when talking about taxes and tithes, Jesus, uh, Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, give to Caesar what is due Caesar. So he says, pay the taxes that you owe. And then he says, and give to God what is due God. So he says, you need to give your tithes and offerings. But, but Peter very explicitly says right here that Caesar has no part and no authority over your heavenly inheritance. That is what is implied right here. Jesus said the same thing because Jesus says there are certain things that belong to God and certain things that belong to the government. Your heavenly inheritance comes from God. It is bestowed upon you from God. And the government, whether it's the government, whether it's this world, any force other than God, there, there's no one that has authority over it. They cannot take it away from you. Years ago, I heard the story of an elderly man who was near death and in his final days still able to talk and communicate his adult children were kind of wondering you know where he was mentally and they would ask him questions and one of them says daddy do you remember your social security number daddy what's your social security number they were testing the guy just to see you know whether his mind was how much his mind was shutting down and the man on his deathbed lovingly looks up at his adult child and he said my social security number is John 3:16. Well no my social security number it's John 
3.16. I love the way John 3.16 reads in New King James. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's a social security number that none of us need to forget. Many of you are familiar with the royal family over in England. I read somewhere that when she passed away, Princess Diana uh, left her fortune, her $31 million estate, to her two children, William and Harry. And that's very similar to the inheritance that we get from Christ. Because if you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ... You are adopted as a son or daughter of the king. And as sons and daughters adopted into the family of God, we are set to inherit heaven. We are set to inherit heaven. We're set to inherit redemption, to inherit eternal life. The eternal life that was acquired and earned by the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Paul says... We are co-heirs with Christ. That's what Peter's getting at. We have an inheritance. Friends, you can live in hope because, because you have hope uh, in a living Savior. You have a living hope that starts a new life inside of you, a new spiritual birth. You have a new hope that, is, that has secured an inheritance that cannot be taken away. You have a, and you have a living hope that, uh, that shields, shields us by the Spirit and is shielded by the Spirit. It's shielded by the Spirit. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, you can have hope. You can live in that hope because it is kept in heaven by God's power. Again, so why do these crazy Southern Baptists believe if saved, always saved? Because the Bible says that your salvation is protected and it's kept in heaven, not by your power, not by my power, but by God's power. It is God that is protecting it to be revealed to us at the last time. You know, uh, when Princess Diana died, her will stated that her estate would be set up and maintained as a trust, and at the age of 30, each one of her sons would inherit, fully inherit, uh, half of her estate. And, and, and so there was this, this, this trust fund that she set up and she set up that the trust fund would be overseen by her mother and her sister. So what that means, it, it was the job of the mother and the sister to make sure that everything was being done properly, that the funds were being managed wisely, that it was being protected and it was being preserved until it was time to be distributed. Peter reminds us that our living hope, our inheritance, our salvation will be revealed in the last time, in the last day. Friends, one day, the truth is, you will take that final breath. The truth is, is that 
one day you will step from this life into the next and on that day you will receive the inheritance promised to those who have faith in Christ. You know something awesome about that inheritance? Sort of distinguishes it from every other inheritance that we could compare it to. You see, God's inheritance is not given in portions. Like manna raining down from heaven, it's multiplied in fullness. Now think about that. The inheritance that God gives us and has set aside for us through faith in Christ, we're not taking a portion of Christ's inheritance. We are co-heirs, but not co-heirs where it is split up. Instead, it is multiplied in its fullness. That is how awesome God is and how amazing His inheritance is that He gives unto us. Just like Princess Diana had someone overseeing the trust for her children, God is the eternal. Uh, God is eternal. And he personally oversees this trust of an inheritance himself. It's what Peter says. You are being protected by God's power through faith. You see, something happens when you come to faith in Christ. If you look again at verse 3, he talks about a new birth. You know, in the King James, if you're reading it in King James, it doesn't say that God has given us a new birth. It says God has begotten us again. That means that something inside of you when you were reborn, something inside of you has changed. There's an essence inside of you. There's a new substance. If, if you begat somebody, if you father or mother a child, that child has your DNA. When the Bible says so-and-so begat so-and-so, that means that that was their biological child. And so so when, when it says that he has begotten us again, that, that Greek word, that, that's, that's what it's getting at. Something inside of you is different. Scripture tells us that Christ, when Christ comes into your life, he puts a new heart inside of you. That's what he promised to do in Ezekiel when he was talking about this new covenant that would one day come. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He says, I'm giving you a new heart and a new spirit. There is something that's going to be different about you spiritually. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 when he says, uh, uh, very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of Spirit. You enter into the kingdom of God when you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And that comes through a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of your heart and, and, and He gives you a, a new heart. And you are reborn. You are begotten again. Friends, say, so what does this matter? We've heard this before. Well, Here's why it matters. Because if you are saved, that means God is inside of you. And if God is inside of you, then he is with you. 
And if he is with you, he will always be with you. If you're saved, God is in you. God is in you, he's with you. And if he's with you, he will always be with you. And that means that you are never alone. That means that there will be times that God will protect you. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you, but it does mean that he will be watching over you. And from time to time, he will step in and protect you, whether you know it or not. That's what I loved about one of the things I loved about that song. As we were, we're singing Waymaker, even when it doesn't seem that you're like you're working, you're working. We don't always know the fullness. There's no way we can ever know the fullness of all that God is doing. You never know what God is doing on your behalf at this very moment. Peter says all of this, getting to verse 6, he says, you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. Various trials. I have here a box of crayons and a mentor friend of mine used this to uh, one time to explain this passage. And I thought I would share it with you. Uh, you know, you look at this box of crayons and inside are crayons of every color. Well, not every color, but a lot of colors, right? There are various colors. In the Greek, the word that is used here in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 for various trials, that's really what it means. It's, it's a trial of every kind, every color, every shape. And so Peter is, uh, is reminding us that there will be things that we face in life. You and I will face things in life, face trials of every color. You never know what will happen. I mean, you know, someone may get offended at something that you say. I mean, you know, uh, you may get offended by something someone else says. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe somebody that you love gets sick. Or maybe, um, maybe you lose a job. Or, you know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe your kids uh, get sick or your kids are struggling with something. I mean, you never know what is going on to happen there are very uh there are various things that can happen to us in our lives but i want you to see something and I, i'll draw your attention back to it when we get there in the coming days but i want you to turn your bibles to first peter chapter 4 and look at verse 10 as peter is talking to the believers about using their gifts for the work of Christ, he says, 1 Peter 4.10, Based on the gift each one of you has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. Another way to say that, the various graces of God. It's the same word that is used in 1 Peter 1 that we see in 1 Peter 4. But instead, in 1 Peter 4, it's not talking about all the, all the bad things that we may face in this life. Instead, it's talking about all the forms of God's grace that is bestowed upon a believer in Christ. When I read that, I'm reminded that for every kind of trouble that you have to face, 
that God has a grace to meet you right where you are and to carry you through it. For every, every trouble you face, there is a very, very grace of God that is available to meet you right where you are and carry you through it. Friends, that's hope. That's the living hope that we have in Christ. I know that this world is changing. I know that these are uncertain days, not just with the pandemic, but, but socially and in, in, in our society. I know it. I know the world is changing, but my hope is not in this world. Listen, I, I love this country. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Let's sing Lee Greenwood right now. I love it. I love that song when it comes on. But my hope is not in this country. My hope is not in our government or its leaders. Now, I'm going to pray for my government. I'm going to pray for my leaders, even when I don't always agree with them. But that's not my hope. See, I pray for them because my hope is in Christ. My hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that is a living hope, friends, you and I, we can live in hope, even in uncertain days. Let's pray.